welcome back to my only uh, fans. Uh, no, this is what is this? My YouTube channel? Nope. Um, Dairy Section Podcast. There we go. Third time's the charm, baby. Uh, let me just. Uh, I'm just. I'm just actually. Guess what I did <clears throat> for this episode for everyone for you fine folks. Uh, I did research. Like, really, well, not really, really good research or anything crazy, but, like, I wrote, let's see here, 1,503 words. Today we're going to be talking about the Sea to Sky Gondola uh, in Squamish, British Columbia. Um, We're just going to get right into it. Back in May 2014, the Sea to Sky Gondola began operation in the town of Squamish, British Columbia. The $22 million project opened to thousands of visitors and over 50 media correspondents, there to cover British Columbia's largest tourism attraction opening in over 20 years. The gondola offered rides starting just off the edge of Howe Sound, uh, two kilometers south of Squamish on the famous Sea to Sky Highway, which is also known as Highway 99, up to the Gondola Summit Lodge, bringing riders a full 200 meters higher than the crest of the chief. This is the awe-inspiring granite monolith climbed by thousands yearly, including the famous free solos of Alex Honnold and Marc-Andre Leclerc. Uh, I don't know if I said his name right. Um, As a side note, that's what the movie, uh, The The Alpinist, um, is about Marc-Andre Leclerc. It's really good. Uh, Previous to the gondola opening, Views of these areas were limited to those who were physically capable of making their way up to the peaks of the mountains in the Squamish Valley. 20 gondola cabins can now carry 600 people per hour, 300,000 yearly, to view Howe Sound, Shannon Falls, the Stawamis Chief, Black Tusk, and other natural wonders. The gondola construction employed 250 people and employs a full-time operating staff of 75. It is one of the largest tourist attractions in the Squamish Valley, which on the whole generates roughly $95 million yearly for the community. The Squamish area and the Sea to Sky Corridor in general has been rapidly developing for the past 30 years, particularly in the last decade, with significant local and foreign investment all along Highway 99. The area saw international attention during the 2010 Winter Olympic Games, primarily hosted just south in in the city of Vancouver, with many events taking place in Whistler, British Columbia, 60 kilometers north of Squamish on Highway 99. Squamish itself saw millions of dollars in tourism during this period, furthering real estate development and the tourism and hospitality industry on the whole. The 2014 opening of the Sea to Sky Gondola was an extension of this development trend. However, not everyone living in the Squamish Valley welcomed the new money and attention. Many longtime residents of the valley feel as if real estate development has begun to erode the natural beauty of the valley. Significant numbers of people have moved to Squamish and Whistler, particularly from Vancouver and other urban centers, in order to have better access to outdoor activities such as skiing, rock climbing, and mountain biking. And so, what was once a working-class town built on the back of forestry has become a hyper-expensive outdoor playground few can afford. From 2016 to 2021, Squamish saw a population growth of 22.2%, going from 19,500 to just under 24,000 people. This follows with trends of deorganization, 
as work from home options become more common and was certainly both influenced and accelerated by the COVID-19 pandemic, which increased the popularity of outdoor sports and rural living in general. The rental vacancy rate in Squamish hovers constantly around 0%, and the average price of the home past the average price of a home passed $1 million in 2021. Many working class locals have been forced out of the area, while others are turning to seasonal camping in order to pursue their outdoor passions, such as climbing. Living in a converted van at the base of the Chief is not just an aesthetic choice, although it has become a symbol of the area, but for many it is the only way they can afford to live near Squamish. The tourism and hospitality industry struggled to keep employees as the cost of living in the area is outpacing wages. Some argue that the Sea to Sky gondola can be seen as a physical representation of these trends, a monument to the prioritization of tourism over local sustainability. Particularly, many avid outdoor enthusiasts feel as if the gondola provides such easy access to the mountains and trails for the public at large that it has made mountain biking, backcountry skiing, and other activities much more difficult due to crowds in restricted zones. For example, a vast area of land was sold by the British Columbia Park Service at well below market value, it was $2 million, to the Sea to Sky Gondola developers before construction. And this private land became either restricted or totally inaccessible to people who had been using it for decades. And so, among those that are against the development of the Squamish area, there is an individual that decided to take significant action against the growing tourism. At approximately 4.30 a.m. on Saturday, August 10th, 2019, the 5.2 centimeter thick steel primary cable of the Sea to Sky gondola in Squamish, British Columbia was cut. All 20 gondola cabins came crashing. I shouldn't be laughing, but I just think it's crazy. Uh, all 20 gondola cabins crashed to the earth wrecked with serious damage resulting to the support towers and other operating systems along the gondola line. A deafening noise was heard throughout the valley, and while no one was hurt, the community of Squamish was shocked that an act of serious sabotage could take place in their backyard. The RCMP began a criminal investigation immediately, but had no real leads or evidence. All that they could offer to the public was that someone with significant outdoor experience and a working knowledge of the tools needed to sever the cable was responsible. After months of repairs and more than $5 million, the gondola reopened in February 2020, then almost immediately closed again in March due to the beginning of Canada's COVID-19 measures. But two months later in May 2020, the gondola opened again with new health and safety measures and a more robust security system. Thermal cameras and a private security force was employed to keep the facility safe. For the entire summer, the gondola ferried passengers from the edge of Howe Sound to the Gondola Summit Lodge. The Sea to Sky area was absolutely hectic with tourists who were escaping their homes during COVID lockdowns to the relative safety of outdoor activities. For many, summer activities, including the gondola, was a much needed break from repetitive worsening headlines and, a growing, global, and growing global infection numbers. The Sea to Sky gondola had been upgraded with almost double the number of cabins after reopening, up to 39, and was now able to handle half a million passengers annually. The gondola was an attraction that was bringing people back to an area that had began to rely upon tourism dollars for its local economy. 
And then on September 14th, 2020, just after 4 a.m., in the cover of darkness and in the midst of a heavy smoke screen that had drifted north from forest fires in Oregon, an individual, most likely the same individual from the first sabotage, cut the cable again. <laughs> Once again, all 39 cabins fell violently to the earth. This time, however, a security guard working that morning avoided being killed by the falling cab cable in just by just a few seconds. There's a video showing just how close he was to death, as well as the sparks in the video. You can see the sparks caused by the gondola cabins as they came down onto the exposed granite of the mountain. Once again, however, the RCMP and the community Squamish were left with almost no evidence of who was responsible. The Thermal imaging of the perpetrator was collected by the RCMP, and over 75 people of interest were interviewed and cleared in the following months. The Sea to Sky gondola team was devastated, as were many in the community, and the second round of boot repairs began. So, a full two years after the second incident, the RCMP released a still from that footage. I'm going to try and put that still as the picture of the uh, podcast today. Uh, I don't know how to do that though. Like, I, like there's an option, but I haven't done it yet. So we'll see if it works. But to, uh, if not, you can email me and I'll send it to you or just Google it. Um, so a full two years after the second incident, I already said that the RCMP announced that the individual must be extremely fit with significant knowledge of and extremely fit is a quote with significant knowledge of the area in order to be able to hike in undetected. So actually, the individual had to come over the backside of the mountain because of how the security was set up, and they had to do that in pitch dark and in or with lighting all the way up until the end. But also, um, it was really smoky. And so the RCMP essentially was saying that anyone who did this was sort of like a real bad boy killer in terms of probably someone uh, who had been a local to Squamish for for years at least and was one of those like hyper fit guys who make it their whole life. So the RCMP are seeking charges now of mischief and mischief endangering life, which holds up to life in prison for whoever is responsible. Uh, the operators of the Sea to Sky Gondola had initially offered a $250,000 reward for information leading to the arrest of the people responsible for the sabotage. At the time of the RCMP release of this footage in September 2022, the operators then doubled that reward to $500,000. Still, no new leads or inform inform informant tips have been made known to the public at the time of me recording this episode in October 2022. The gondola is once again operating as of June 11th, 2021. With security measures that the operators are confident will prevent a third sabotage, they claim that security measures are unheard of outside the nuclear industry, whatever that means. However, they have been removing cabins every night, meaning that a third cut to the cable would cause minor damage. The total cost of sabotage was over $10 million to the company, but they are confident that the venture will remain viable. We may never know who cut that cable. Twice. So, that was, uh, 
that's a story that I don't know if anyone really like. I was um, sitting uh, in my living room or whatever. Not that, I don't have any like furniture, so I was sitting in this empty room, and uh, I was browsing my laptop. Uh, as you do, and the CBC news article, um, which I have linked in a link in the description as bunch as well as um, particularly of all my sources, there's a Globe and Mail article uh, which is who sabotaged the Sea to Sky gondola, an, unsol- an unsolved mystery hangs over. That's the whatever. Uh, really good article, uh, a bit wordy because. Um, journalists these days can't just write like a like a piece of news anymore uh they gotta like like the the um globe and mail article is like really descriptive and when i was writing my script there um the one thing i just read which i know is a bit stiff and formal but i wanted it to like really paint a picture of just what happened uh the too long didn't read is pretty much like uh five people from Vancouver, Squamish, and British Columbia in general, five developers with millions and millions of dollars, uh, installed a, a gondola in Squamish. And it brings everyone up there, old people, young people, fat people, and you can go and see the how sound. And I didn't I wasn't super familiar with the Squamish topography, uh, and like geography. Um, but how sound is this big I guess the sound is like a big inlet um, from the ocean. And so although Squamish is north of Vancouver and more inland, it still has a Pacific Ocean like waterfront because of Howe Sound, which juts into to the uh, land. And for a long time, Squamish was uh, relatively isolated from Vancouver and not many people were living there because of... Um, because of poor road infrastructure, but I guess in 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 an attempt to get the bid for the 2020 Winter, Winter Olympics, um, British Columbia invested like a bunch of money in Highway 99, the Sea to Sky Highway. So that takes you from um, uh, just just north of Cash Creek, which is um, for most people who aren't in British Columbia, you're not going to know where that is. But there's Highway 97 that runs pretty much up the dead center of uh, of British Columbia from Hope um, up to Prince George. It goes keeps going further past actually all the way up to um, uh, it'll take you out of the Alberta border or you can go up to the Yukon with it or whatever. But uh, maybe about one quarter or less than a quarter, a fifth of the way up Highway 97. So still very much uh, in the south of the province, um, there's a town called Cash Creek. And just outside of Cash Creek, there's the Highway 90... I'm going to literally throw up. <clears throat> oh, there we go. Um, uh, there is this junction, the Highway 97, Highway 99 junction. And it's received a pretty decent amount of publicity over the years in terms of like things that have happened along it. Uh, along Highway 99 is Pemberton. Uh, Pemberton had the Pemberton Music Festival, which was hailed as a really successful like uh, um, West Coast art scene festival that uh, actually like was canceled due to like poor management. And I don't know, music festivals uh, often seem to fall apart, mostly because I think of like uh, insurance and stuff like 
a good music festival comes out of nowhere and and gets really really popular and then all of a sudden you have like thousands of people just like railing ketamine in a in a field and insurance providers like see the first couple years of that and they're like you know what we're not gonna insure you to have this so pemberton's on highway 99 uh uh oh uh, litton is that what it yeah litton is on i'm gonna actually double i always get litton and lillouette um litton fire is that it yeah uh oh god it's how embarrassing i'm supposed to be like the the bc guy always fuck it up no wait uh no 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 no. i'm so dumb yeah maybe it was litton fuck it i don't care um there was like all of those fires uh where we had um the heat dome last year in 2021 and uh the the oh yeah i guess i can the record for heat um uh the record for heat was set um in uh oh my god i'm so fucking bad at googling stuff okay apologies uh oh god i hate anyway either lillouette or linton i'm pretty sure it's linton set the record for heat it was like 51.4 degrees celsius something like that i'm pulling that out of my ass uh, and then the very next day, like a fire caught there and then the whole town just got like shadow realmed, uh, which is really sad because I'm pretty sure some people died and, and beyond that, you know, this historic BC town was just totally wiped out. Uh, so that's on highway 99 or just off highway 99. And then south of that, uh, as we head closer and closer to Vancouver, I started up in Cash Creek, um, here, uh, and then Pemberton, then Lintner, Lillowet or whatever. Uh, God, I'm going to get so much hate for that. And then there's Whistler, which um, probably doesn't need that much introduction. But Whistler is this very famous ski town that for a long time was was also underdeveloped due to like a lack of road access and stuff. But uh, has, had serious development done before the 2010 Winter Olympics with the peak-to-peak gondola being put in place. And uh, so there's Whistler and there's Blackcomb and like they're two separate mountains that are now connected by a gondola. I've never been skiing there, so this is all just what I've picked up from from reading about it. Uh, and so, uh, like a really you know really popular uh, a tourism destination, and then 60 kilometers south of that is Squamish, and just south of Squamish, I think another less than less than I think it's about 30 kilometers here in North Vancouver. I'm pretty sure you can make it even with traffic and stuff from downtown Vancouver to Squamish in like two hours at, at the most, like, and that would be bad traffic, but uh, maybe a local from Vancouver could correct me on that if that's true. But I drove Highway 99 last year, almost exactly a year ago, actually. Uh, and it's definitely not a great highway on the northern side of things, like through Pemberton all the way to Whistler, it's quite windy and shitty still. Uh, but there's been serious development from Whistler down to Vancouver. Uh, it places it has, I think, three lanes, uh, a, like three lanes per side, um, lots of passing lanes, and and it's 
utterly like beautiful. It's a really beautiful area. Uh, and I wanted to cover the gondola. Um, I wanted to cover the gondola sabotage because I don't think a lot of people know about it. And uh, like, it's, it's crazy to me. I, I know I was laughing a bit there when I was talking about it, but like there exists a guy who didn't tell anyone obviously because most people would turn him in for $500,000. There exists a guy, and in my mind, this is fully speculation, but he's probably someone who's around 40, you know, principled guy, probably pretty quiet, probably drives a fucking like 2001 Toyota Tacoma that he has like 400,000 kilometers on it. He takes really good care of it and lives in like i I'm going to say he's a homeowner because he's been there long enough, but uh, he probably lives a pretty simple type of life or maybe he's a, he's like a outdoorsman, avid outdoorsman or whatever. Uh, well, most definitely he is, but he, he's probably very resentful over the gondola, you know, bringing so much people, uh, especially people who, you know, ride the gondola up to the top and take a couple photos of how sound, you know, this beautiful oceanscape. Take some photos of Black Tusk and the Chief and stuff. And then they fuck off back to Vancouver. And they had a nice little weekend in the hills. And to him, it's that constant pressure of tourists ruining his his town. And um, I say him for sure because the photo definitely suggests a man. It might just be a, a super bulky woman. Um, so if so, go get him, girl boss. Um, but... I, w- I would imagine that he he thought about this for years because from 2014 to 2019 it operated and either he wrote it enough times that he figured out a place he could cut it. Uh, I actually had difficulty finding where it was cut the second time, but the first time it was cut at one of the support towers. So there's the base tower and then I think there are uh, three support towers. There might just be two and they exist in the, the places where the cable needs to be elevated above the slope of the mountain and then there's a long stretch of no towers and so he cut the cable at one of the support towers so i have no idea how gondolas work like in uh practice um other than the fact that i imagine like you know it's sort of like a clothesline uh so he would have to have purchased or or or, or he would have have to severed the cable at a point where the recoil caused when he broke it uh, would be directed away from him. So whether that be at like at the tower right by a um, uh, access point where he could cut such that the cable would go left and right of him and not, you know, whip around to hit him. Um, it's it's really just a question of physics. Uh, and the RCMP sort of made it seem like he would have to be some sort of genius. But uh, he also might have just been someone who figured, like, fuck it, we'll just, like, cut it. It'll probably go fine. Um, the the other thing is, is that definitely he's going to be someone who's really fit. So this image of this 40-year-old in my head driving this Tacoma just fits because it's the type of guy who actually, you know, walks the walk, talks the talk, uh, which we all know people like this. Um, I'm thinking to my hometown, the guys who, like... Uh, you know, moved to to this mountain town uh, because I'm from a ski town, Smithers, who moves to Smithers from places like Vancouver or, you know, other small towns where they saw, you know, 
they saw this guy saw Squamish, I imagine, as you know the place that he can really get out and enjoy the outdoors constantly, and nobody knows about it, and it's underdeveloped. And then 2010 rolls along, and they rebuild that highway, and all of a sudden he's got a fuckload of tourists constantly in his you know his town. And I know it might sound like I'm defending him, but I'm just really trying to paint the picture of who this is. Like the other side of things is that growth and development of an area are unavoidable. Just because you move somewhere first doesn't mean you own it. Especially as Canadians, we're uh, really lucky to be able to move to all, anywhere in, in the country. We have a right to move and set up our life there. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean you're owed everywhere. Like, no, you can't go to downtown Toronto and expect to have a condo. Um, I'm not sure why you would want to. In fact, I really don't like Toronto. Uh, go fuck yourself. Uh, <laughs> like, it's fucking so big and, and so dense. And everyone speaks weird there. Like, they say Newfies have the worst accent, but people who speak big smoke or whatever, like, I can't even understand you. Um, uh, but you could move to Newfoundland and live in some of the most rugged, beautiful, windswept area in the world. And you're still just a Canadian, you know. And so Squamish uh, has had its, like, you know, profile blown up. But that's just sort of the, the reality of being that close to Vancouver. And you couldn't have a good forever. There exists other places that are very much like Squamish 30 years ago in B.C., um, there are the Kootenays. There are places like where I'm from, Smithers, which is a ski town. Uh, I don't think it'll ever have the same level of development that Squamish does because Smithers is in the middle of fucking nowhere. Um, but certainly it's growing uh, and there's a lot more money. And the ski hill there uh, is is relatively small and underdeveloped still, but it has room to grow and will, I, I believe, you know, developers are going to come in and wave a bunch of money at the operators and it will grow. So I, I just find this story really fascinating. And I think that because it's such a small town and it's, and it's a local, because I mean, it is 24,000 people now, but that's only 24,000 people. Squamish knows who did this. There has to be people in Squamish who are throwing around accusations of this group of guys who are I say 40 because that's just who's in my head, but, you know, anyone who's physically capable of doing so, so in their, you know, relative prime, you could probably be as old as 60. I know a lot of, like, older guys who roll hard as fuck who are a lot fitter than I am. Um, so, you know, let's say arbitrarily, like, 20 to 60, probably more likely somewhere in the 30 to 40 range because they have more, you know, principle and thinking and less impulsive. Uh, they are most certainly probably a quiet individual or someone who is outspoken and stuff, but known by their friends to be principled. Uh, if I cut the cable, I would tell everyone, you know, like I, I would love, I love talking. I mean, I have a podcast. You're listening to it. I'm just chatting away. Uh, this is the type of dude who probably has friends cause he's probably, you know, you know, cool guy or whatever, but, uh, definitely the type of person who maintains a solid private life. And so I'm, I'm just, I'm not from Squamish. I've only actually been there once, the one time I drove through it. Uh, but if you have any theories or heard of anything, uh, 
please send me an uh, email at shaymckenzietv, S-H-E-A-M-C-K-E-N-Z-I-E-T-V at gmail.com. Send me your pet theories. I'd love to like do updates on this as the story develops. Um, And I don't know how much development there will be. This guy might take the the, um, story to his grave. Uh, It also reminds me of the Haddon Clark um, uh, Golden Spruce story which if you haven't heard is incredible uh i might do an episode on it but really i think that they they there's a book and there's a movie and the movie is really good uh i think it's just called uh like um haddon clark the golden spruce oh is it haddon clark i think that so uh Oh, Haddon Clark might just actually be wrong. He might. That would be really funny if Haddon Clark was like a. Uh... Yeah, that's definitely a Haddon Clark. <laughs> Haddon Clark is a, a American veteran murderer and suspected serial killer. Uh, <laughs> Golden Spruce. Uh... Okay, the. The book is just called Golden Spruce, uh, and you can just Google it. Uh, I don't. Let's just. Do, who cut it down? I'm pretty sure his name was Haddon. Uh, what is it? Oh, God, that's funny, Haddon Clark. No, the guy's name was Grant Hadwin. Uh, and uh, so the... Um, that is a... There's a couple of different... I don't know, there's two... There's an, there's an article and there's... But it doesn't matter. Uh, what matters is that there's a movie about it. It's got the First Nations name here. Uh, Kidiak, yes, no... Kid Kias, but I don't know, man. Just it's the Golden Spruce. Like, I'm not hating on the First Nations uh, representation of it, but fuck, it's really hard to research shit when you just change the names on me all the time. So that's a really good story. Uh, but this sabotage story, I feel like, is just crazy. Um, uh, and then uh, I wanted to just talk about like the general, you know, my feelings of like. If you're living in one of these small mountain towns, I just have a lot of sympathy. Uh, I, I, I touched on it earlier, but yeah, it fucking sucks that all of a sudden it's the in spot to live. And in my in my script there, I mentioned the whole living in a van at the base of the chief, which is what like people do. I'm pretty sure that's what Alex Honnold does, not out of uh, out of f- financial reasons, but because he's a dedicated climber who who climbs over the climbs the route over and over again does it or whatever um mark andre leclerc did it uh he lived in a in a uh the alpinist touches on that he lived in a stairwell um when he first moved to squamish because he couldn't afford uh, he's from chilliwack and he couldn't afford to live like to rent or whatever and then a lot of people i uh people i know um 
go to like places like Whistler or Squamish and like live in a van or a truck and you know wake up every day and mountain bike or make, wake up every day and climb or wake up every day and ski it's obviously harder to live in a camping setting in the winter but people do do it and it's just like well obviously we're, we're there's an issue there like at the 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 what makes British Columbia great what makes British Columbia my favorite area of Canada uh, obviously I'm biased being born and raised here uh, I I'm actually living in Alberta right now but um, I, I'm gonna go back to BC uh, soon and uh, probably for good um, no hating on the prairies but I just miss the mountains way too much and uh, there is that indescribable feeling of beauty in the Pacific Northwest and as you get further north the the Northwest in general uh, that people are I uh, they're willing to forego housing and, you know, any sort of financial like security just to be among nature. And I think that if you're not, if you're, if you don't connect to nature like that, you might not understand it, but the BC government needs to take a good, long, hard look at affordable housing for people, because I don't think a lot of people care to own a mansion. Uh, a lot of BC locals would be happy with, you know, just a house, even a townhouse or whatever, uh, uh, apartments, just affordable housing, and so that they can get out and enjoy what BC has to offer. Uh, not everyone wants to live in Vancouver. Uh, in fact, I think people, uh, as they get older, a lot of them want to move out. And I talked about it in the script there, but COVID-19 opened a lot of people's eyes to the fact that sometimes living in a city fucking sucks. Uh, I, I just don't like people that much. Like I'm every day I get older, I'm starting to like, like people less. Um, and just want to live like, you know, cabin in the woods, dog, be a vibe, you know? And, and, and that's what I'm going for. And <laughs> well, certainly I have my work cut out for me. If I want to live almost anywhere in British Columbia, it's going to cost probably, you know, lifelong, career millions hundreds of thousands if not millions of dollars made and invested into property and into a lifestyle just because uh bc has allowed a lot of foreign development and and then also i guess local development in the sense that like there's metropolitan money from vancouver and then those vancouver people are able to you know just take a short jaunt north to squamish and dump you know 70 million dollars into a gondola and this dude, this this uh, saboteur, is just seething. He's pissed, and he cut the cable. But unfortunately, those developer pockets run deep, so it cost them ten million dollars. Um, they were they were almost gloating on their website where I linked it. There's some like, uh, they're like, well, we've got good backing, and what they mean is that they've got hundreds of millions of dollars in insurance and and development partners and, and capital raisers or whatever, and that you can't win as the little guy. And so maybe my sympathies for this guy come out a bit, but as a lifelong British Columbian, I just fucking, you know, I can just see him, see some fat tourists up at the top of the mountain taking pics with their fucking iPhone 13, and and he's got a, he's got a landline, and he's living a way different lifestyle, and he's just pissed. Uh, and 
it's not right for him to endanger the lives of security teams and stuff, but certainly um, there needs to be more of an argument of should we hyper-develop, you know, nature? Uh, and I, I don't know. I don't know if a gondola is that bad. Like, you know, certainly it's not tearing down trees and stuff um, and not replacing them. And there is a lot of room in British Columbia. It's it's a huge, uh, huge province. But it seems people have an obsession with living in the lower mainland, being close to Vancouver or whatever. And, yeah, I just don't buy it like that. I just... I hate that whole area now. The whole Fraser Valley is so bad. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think that's enough musing about the gondola line. I want to say thank you to um, Ian, Justin, and Laura. All three of you reached out to me uh, in the last couple of days and said thank you. And just a shout out to uh, you guys and, and everyone else who's listening. Uh, people who have sent me messages previously in the last couple of weeks. And, and uh, I hope that um, you enjoy this episode, the research that... Uh, I did. I don't know if I love that format that I just went through. It felt a little stiff at the the start there. So, uh, yeah, I'd rather more have a conversation than me lecture. Uh, That's sort of the whole point of the show is to keep it fun, flirty, fresh. Uh, um, And uh, I don't know if I have any other administrative stuff. Uh, The... Uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Um, if you, I'll link all the sources in the description of this episode. Uh, there's not, admittedly, there's not much to go on. The CBC Global uh, CTV articles are all fucking, they're all the same. They're all sort of shit. Um, the Sea to Sky Gondola blog, so uh, c2skygondola.com slash blog has a bunch of stuff. It's actually funny to you go through the the chronology of it and it's like this the uh august 10th incident and then they have like a bunch of really positive stuff about reconstruction and then there's like 10 posts about operating again and then there's this september 14th incident and it's just they're really sad so but they're fine they're making millions of dollars again and uh i plan on heading back or i had i plan on heading to squamish uh hopefully within the next year Go check this uh, thing out. It's like 60 bucks to ride it up and down. Like, fuck that. I think it's $10 down. So if you hike up, uh, you save 50 bucks. So that's nice. More people should hike it. Um, I'm sort of salty that they've made it accessible for like, like, I don't know. You should have the physical fitness to be able to get up there. Like, come on. Like, if, if you're actually so unfit that you can't walk up a fucking mountain, uh, maybe you don't deserve to get to see the top. Uh, and that's why they build a gondola, I know. They're pandering, but that's my hot take for the episode. Um, and, uh, yeah, we're going to leave it there. Uh, this has been Dairy Section Podcast, episode five. Um, thanks, everyone, for listening, and uh, we'll see you in roughly a week. Probably, it'll probably be longer. I mean, this was ten days, so fuck it. It's my podcast.